0: This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you.
1: The first reading is taken from Exodus 3, verses 1 to 15. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush did not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses. God also said to Moses say to the Israelites the Lord the God of your fathers the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you this is my name forever the name you shall call me from generation to generation hear the word of the Lord
0: the second reading is from Matthew 22 Verses 23 to 33. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hear the word of the Lord.
2: Please be seated. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths, and strength to our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, gung hei Choy, To my Chinese brothers and sisters in Christ, Happy Chinese New Year. May God grant you and your families abundant life and prosperity for the coming year. Which reminds me of a time when I was 26 and standing in a burial shrine. A small group of us stood to the side as a man in his 50s lit red incense sticks, placed them in a large copper basin, and bowed three times in honor of his ancestors. Do you believe they live on after death, I asked. Some do, he said, but I don't. I choose instead to go off what I know and see. Then he added, smiling gently, I prefer to base my life on facts the idea of life after death is tantalizing isn't it and yet in the face of death believing in something more can be hard after all life is so real and death is so final a hereafter seems less fact more wishful fiction so surely it's absurd to believe in the Christian idea of resurrection, that someone can come back from the dead. I mean, scientifically it's impossible, but anyone who has stood by the grave of a loved one knows that no matter how deeply we might desire it, this person is never getting up again. Yet if we believe in the resurrection, like a number of us here do today, and like Matthew's original hearers did, it does raise all sorts of questions. What kind of life is it? How similar will it be to this one? What will people be like? And how will relationships work? If we were married here, will we be married there? Or if we were unmarried, am I destined to be unmarried forever? What kind of hope does the resurrection offer us? And how might that shape our lives today? Well, in this passage, we see Jesus confronted with the notion that the resurrection is an absurd idea. Jesus' answer gives us a compelling case that the resurrection is, in fact, a radical reality and a living hope. The resurrection is an absurd idea, a radical reality, and a living hope. So first the challenge. We enter Matthew's story at a point of rising conflict. Jesus has shown again and again to the people of Israel that he is their promised Messiah. And yet, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, instead of being recognized, he is rejected. Storm clouds are gathering. The Pharisees confront him, as we saw last week, and now it's the Sadducees' turn. Who were the Sadducees? Wealthy Jewish intellectuals, high up in the political and religious establishment who ruled the temple and maintained its practices. Like the Pharisees, they were spiritual authorities. Unlike the Pharisees, they were widely unpopular. Perhaps this is because they were corrupt, and perhaps it was because they favored Hellenistic or Greek ideas over Jewish teachings, like the resurrection. And it's this particular point of unbelief that Matthew wants us to keep in mind as these men approach Jesus. Teacher, they say. The term is respectful, but the intention is not. They're here to test, not learn from Jesus, which is revealed in their unfolding question. Teacher, they say. Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. What's going on here? Well, the aim is simple. Discredit both Jesus and the resurrection. So they devise a test. They don't ask Jesus to prove himself on the teachings of some random prophet. No, they choose the prophet, Moses, the bedrock and birthplace of Jewish spiritual authority. If you're going to prove yourself as teacher, Jesus, then you'll have to do it with Moses. And which teaching of Moses? Deuteronomy 25, verse 5, which talks about Leveret, not Christian, marriage. The law is as they state it. And while today we might balk at some of the details of it, in short, it was a social security measure to protect and provide for women in ancient Israel. To the Sadducees, it illustrates or captures two things natural order and the joining in the joining of one man to one woman in marriage, and covenant promise, which was through children people's link to the Abrahamic promises. Resurrection to them seems to defy both of these. The only plausible raising up in this passage, note a wordplay with the word resurrection later on, both logically and from the text is of children, physical children, not the dead coming back to life. And that's clearly ridiculous, which is obvious in the story they come up with. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven? Since all of them were married to her. You can almost hear the laughter as they tell it, can't you? One woman married to seven men at the same time. Seriously, never mind why the poor woman didn't have children. We all know that this situation, what makes this situation possible or moral in any way is that each man stays dead, as we know that they do. Or is God turning the created order upside down now and permitting polyandry after death, but not before preposterous to the Sadducees? The logic of the resurrection is unscriptural and self contradictory. And there are plenty of people today who would agree with them. Resurrection doesn't work from Israel's foundational scriptures or from life experience. The Sadducees have laid down the gauntlet. There you go, Jesus. Work your way out of that one. How will Jesus respond to this? By showing that the resurrection isn't an absurd idea, but a radical reality. Jesus isn't spooked. As with the Pharisees, he shoots back, and he shoots straight. You are in error. Jesus doesn't even accept the terms of the question. Why not? Well, because, he says, they are deceived. You think I'm ridiculous. It's you that is deluded. Why? Well, verse 29 because they neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. Talk about a slap in the face to the Sadducees, for whom the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, was their specialty. Jesus says, you don't understand God, and you don't even understand your own text. He unravels their argument by showing this, starting with marriage. The Sadducees are wrong, he says, because they assume that life in the resurrection age is the same as life here. But we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. A new age is new rules. People are neither married nor given in marriage in the resurrection, Jesus says, because the good order that God established here has been transformed or realized. The basis of life and access to his promises and blessings is no longer physical procreation, but spiritual regeneration. We can all now be children of Abraham by believing in the promises of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, one implication of this is that marriage is a temporary blessing. I completed my Masters of Divinity a few years ago, uh, and it was a wonderful time of life. And graduation was bittersweet, as it always is, because it was a beautiful time, but it was temporary. Marrying or not marrying is not what defines us. It doesn't mean you've made it or missed it. Marriage is like a flower, beautiful in its time. But as a flower's purpose is to give way to fruit, so marriage gives way to a new way of being. Now, let me be clear, I don't think Jesus is dissolving or declaring marriage defunct or devaluing our own marriages, past or present. You can read the Sermon on the Mount to see Jesus upholding earthly marriage and other passages in the New Testament. What he's doing is declaring that it's not going to last. A new state is going to replace it. And what is it? It We'll be like the angels. What is that? Well, what kind of body we will have and how it's like in angels isn't clear from this passage. I wish I could explain it. I wish I could tell you. I don't have an answer. But I think the key thing here is that in the resurrection, we will fulfill fully the purpose that we were made for, to glorify God. As Christ's bride, we will spend eternity doing what we can only do here in a small way now, living fully for God's glory, united to him and to one another, not sexually, but spiritually, which dignifies those of us who are single because you too, in your person and in your calling, show what is to come. It's not just the married people. And that's not gonna be some dignified loneliness. No, in the way that marriage is transformed, the love, the attachment, fellowship, partnership, affection, and intimacy will be shared among us all. No one misses out. And that means for those of us who have or have had spouses, we will love and be loved forever. We will spend together forever together it's not going to look like it was. But it's going to be something better. The Sadducees are wrong because they don't understand God's power. God brought life out of nothing. Do you think death is going to be an obstacle for his people experiencing his promises? Which leads to Jesus' next point about the scriptures. To disprove the resurrection, the Sadducees raise jesus moses words in deuteronomy 25. in response jesus raises them god's words in exodus 3. what's the point here the sadducees believed god only ensured his people had physical descendants that's how he works but that's a very materialistic way of thinking god is far more committed to his people than some kind of family legacy, good as that is. Because as we heard in that Exodus passage, not only is God a present tense God, I, not I was, but I am, God's promised covenant blessing was not some temporary relief from suffering and death, but the final reversal of death itself. Think about it. If God protected Abraham Isaac and Jacob all their lives but failed to deliver them from the ultimate check on their hopes. What value is God's protection? If death is extinction, all the promises of God meant in this life mean nothing. The Sadducees' idea of God is a blatant contradiction. Resurrection can seem unbelievable to us, because we're so liable to thinking of the new creation in terms of this one. But just because we can't imagine it doesn't mean it's not true. Because like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, like life in the womb being birthed into the world, the restrictions and limitations of our present age are not the same in the world to come. No, to Jesus, it was always implied right there in Exodus 3 that for those who trust God... They will inherit eternal life, abundant, fulfilled, now and forever, which brings Jesus and us to the punchline. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. The crowd goes wild. They are amazed. The thing is that in just a few chapters, these same crowds would be sending this teacher to his death. What grounds do we have to believe his words? Well, because he is living proof. In himself, he fulfills the scriptures and proves the power of God. His life totally glorified God while he was on earth. By his death, he fulfills scripture and makes a new covenant in his blood so that now he, raised by the power of God, can give life, resurrection life, to all who will trust themselves to him through jesus the resurrection is not an absurd idea it's not only a radical reality but because he lives it is a living hope for you and me well if that is true how does the resurrection give hope to our lives now in many ways here are three one It clarifies our meaning. Our lives today, your and my lives today, are shaped by something far more significant and long-lasting than our marriages. And that is revealing the purpose and presence of God in the world. Marriage is one vehicle that we get to use to display it. Which means it's a blessing, but not the blessing of life. Settling down with 1.5 kids and a dog in a flat at Redleaf is lovely, but it's not life's goal or greatest good. And so we need to be careful about implying to people, single or not, that it is. But it also does something really good for our marriages, which is take the pressure off. Marriage doesn't have to fulfill all of my desires. That's coming. We can let our marriage partner or potential marriage partner be a real person. And it means as well that we can rejoice in singleness, not just our own, but others. We can stop being suspicious of single people and start releasing them. In fact, encouraging people to be single because singleness is just as good, according to Jesus, as marriage just as glorifying to God. And the Apostle Paul will say it's better because it gives us freedom to work for and witness to the kingdom in the world. So that's the first way it's a living hope. The second way is that it comforts us in the face of grief. It is never easy when someone we love dies or when we don't have the life that we want. But like it's never good to crash a car but it makes a big difference to have good insurance. Hope doesn't take away the grief of absence, but it does transform it. The New Testament talks about those who have died as merely having fallen asleep, which means, if that's true, that of all people, Christians can say with confidence of those we have lost in Christ, we will meet again. And for those who are disappointed by life, in whatever way, it's an encouragement because this is not a permanent state. Fullness of joy will be yours. All of God's promises, you're included in them. But our hope isn't just for the future, it's for now. The resurrection means that our lives, whatever state we're in, they have real meaning and really contribute to God's purposes. So we, can't, we can be thankful for what we do have and invest in that, knowing that God is going to work through us. It gives us peace and hope. And finally, and thirdly, the resurrection hope reminds us that we are unified in Christ. It's a way, it's a living hope. Whether we're single or married, regardless of the size of our family, we are united in love that spans to every sister and brother in Christ. This includes people who are divorced, people who are widowed, people who are single, people who are childless, and the child-laden. And in the church, in us, God forms a picture of the new world to come. The kind of love that we will experience in fullness then, we get a tiny picture of now. Well, what will that look like? Perhaps one of the ways that we can just dis- display that is that there we would take care particularly of people who are prone to neglect in society and we would include them i wonder if you could imagine ways that you might invite people into your home demonstrate hospitality to them at church on sundays show that they too are included in the purposes and family of god wouldn't you love to live in a community that embraced people with that kind of assurance and love. Jesus is the one who brings us this great hope. He transforms our whole lives and our futures. So let's cling to him, because he is the anchor for our souls. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, Browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Marks.